Welcome to episode 1143 of The Sleeper in the Bust. I'm Justin Mason, joined as always on Sundays by Jason Collette. How you doing, my friend? Hey, good morning, man. How you doing today? I'm doing well. We are entering like prime time drafting time, like right? Yes. It is drafting season. Uh, I've got my first kind of live draft or well, uh, non-slow draft of the season tomorrow. My beat Justin oh, wow. Mason, OC. So I'm excited for that. I'll be live streaming it for those who are interested. I uh, can catch it on my YouTube and my Twitch uh, and my Twitter, which are all Justin Mason FWFB. And I think I might even put it up on the Fangraphs site. I got to figure out if I'm allowed to do that. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's a uh, prime time drafting season. Pablo's next weekend. So yes. get ready for that. It'll be two day live stream event. Yeah. Just a lot of awesome things going on right now. How are you awesome. Doing? Yeah, pretty good, man. I got my 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 rotowire OC um, a week after yours. So mine mm -hmm. is Monday, February twenty seventh. I think at eight o'clock p.m. Eastern, and then like Jeff Erickson's is at eleven o'clock for West Coasters. I haven't looked to see uh, if if mine's filled up yet. Uh, but if you, if you're interested, go find it and uh, come on in. But yeah, I think this weekend is my last draft free weekend. Between next week with that and the following week is AL Labor, and then the following week is a new 15-team uh, mixed league draft uh, that we have, like the uh, snake draft format that we're starting up in the Carolinas. Uh, with a couple of listeners are actually in the league uh, that I know of. Then, uh, then it's Tout, uh, so I'll see you there. And then I have a break. I think I have a break the weekend – the weekend in between that like weekend of March 24th. I think I, that's the only weekend right now. I don't have any drafts, but I have to be home for, there's something on my calendar. It's like, I had to keep that one blocked out. Uh, and then I'm in New York uh, to, uh, to work with the, uh, the Moneyball league. Uh, mm -hmm. And I know a couple of those guys listen in. So looking forward to seeing you guys. And then I've got to fly home immediately from that and get into my, my home AL uh, auction. Uh, and then I'll be done. <laughs> Yeah, I've got my my beat Justin Mason league, which, uh, like I said, it's the Rotoware OC uh, that's drafting tomorrow. I think 3 p.m. Eastern is when that is. So if you're off and want to watch that, you can. Uh, and then I've got Barf coming up, Tout coming up. Uh, I'll be going to Vegas. Uh, it seems I'm almost officially uh, finalizing all of that uh, for the NFBC drafts at the end of. Uh, no, or end of I think March. it's that one weekend that I'm not doing anything. Is yeah. when you guys are all in Vegas. I heard yeah, you and so, Paul talking about that in the last episode about yeah. the cold in the desert. And, you know, cold's relative when you're talking to Paul because anything <laughs> below 75 is cold. Uh, we also have listener leagues uh, through the yes. Patreon being set up. So we've almost got a full Dynasty League, 12-team Dynasty League. Uh, so if you want to be a part of those listener leagues, you got to subscribe to the Patreon at the four dollar and twenty cent tier, get into the Discord because I'm I'm setting them all up through that Discord uh, app and channel. So I've almost got that one filled up. Which and formats almost... are we doing there? Because like I I would like to get in one, play with the listeners. I yeah. do not want to do a Dynasty League though. If if you look in the uh, if you look in the Discord under yeah. the Listener Leagues channel, I have posted a uh, Google Doc and I pretty much set up like every single potential format. So there's 10, 12, and 15 team leagues nice. for yeah. uh, Roto, for points on ESPN, on Yahoo. It looks like the Dynasty ones, which were going to be on fan tracks, and uh, the uh, the uh, headed categories of the two uh, on Yahoo are the two closest to being filled up. Cool. So, uh, you know. I'll, I'll join as many as people want to join. Uh, you know, Jason said he'll join uh, a league or two. Uh, I know Paul's going to join a league or two. So um, definitely jump in there and be a part of that. It's going to be a lot of fun uh, trying to uh, try to beat me, which should be pretty easy considering my year last year. So <laughs> uh, today we are discussing uh, kind of targeting player players with talent on bad teams. So. Uh, I'll let you kind of talk about this topic a little bit as your, your kind of brainchild because you were looking at what the A's I think it was. Yeah, yeah. The I, I was looking at ADP of the A's and I tweeted something out Saturday and I was like, woof. It's like where everybody is. And then even this morning looking at it, 
you can get 180 picks into a draft and a single Nationals player is not off the board. That's it. And the first one off the board by ADP is Kyber Ruiz. Uh, that's kind of crazy. Like, oh, yeah, you know, JT Real Muto is not even the first. He's not even the first player off the board by ADP on his team. And yet here's a second-year catcher is the first player off the team for the Nationals. So it's like this This podcast episode has a little bit for everybody. So if you're in a even a shallow league, some of the guys we're going to talk about are very applicable to you. Uh, but this is also one for you deep. You deep leaguers, you AL or NL only folks, it's like you got to throw it. I know you're probably already thinking about this, but you have to start thinking about this because when you look at your player pool, it's like, okay, yeah, there's 15, there's all these guys, but some of these guys are just simply undraftable. Conversely, there's also opportunity where there's all this confusion about who's going to play and who's not. There's opportunity here. And so I love to look at these types of guys and really like a transition to our first news story. Back in 2021, when Robbie Grossman landed with Detroit, I was all over Robbie Grossman because at the time, good player, bad team, he can get the volume and do something. He ended up having a 2020 season. And I remember taking Robbie Grossman in the reserve rounds of things. Um, and so you know, that offers a nice transition on our, you know, our news of the day as we head into the topic of this particular podcast because there is opportunity here where there's a lot of bad baseball, uh, but at the same time, time there's also potholes and landmines that you want to avoid on some of these rosters as well yeah let's talk about that news piece it's Robbie Grossman signing a deal to be what looks like the everyday left fielder in Texas for the Texas Rangers Uh, (laughs) are you targeting Robbie Grossman the Rangers have been a team that has liked to run over the last few years now you've got larger bases and the new pickoff rules and things like that uh, could have some sneaky value. Hey, you also have a new manager uh, in play there, too. So you have to see how old school Bob Brenly, right? Is that who's there? Is Bob Brenly? I, I can't even it's remember. It's one of the old NL West managers. I, I feel like I feel like an idiot. All of a sudden, I'm like, I want to say it's Bob Brenly, but it doesn't feel right. Bob Melvin is probably the right answer, as those of you guys are yelling at your favorite podcast device going, Jason, Jesus. Uh, so new manager uh, in play also because Bruce Bochy. What did I get? I was yeah, one of those old catchers. Yeah, one yeah, of them. I, I should have remembered that. Yeah, one of those old catchers. Uh, so Chris Woodward did like to run. We don't know. I guess we'd have to go back and look to see how Bruce Bochy, what his managerial tendencies were. Uh, I, one of the things that I mentioned earlier, when Robbie Grossman at, at the time, decent player, bad team, was going to get the volume. I liked him because he was very underrepresented by ADP. Uh, at the point. This one, as I tried to understand this particular move and the trickle-down effect, one thing for me with with Robbie Grossman, if you were, if you have been targeting like Bubba Thompson as a late-round speed dart, that dart just got a lot less sharp uh, because he is now firmly going to be going down in the minor leagues. Uh, and that's, and Leody Tavares was already out of options anyhow, but I think it further cements his uh, his spot on the roster. And then you look at what this could buy them. They've been working on Ezekiel Duran as an infield outfield type, Josh Schmidt infield outfield type. So it buys them some time there. I think the bigger factor here is you look at the projected OBPs of the back half of that lineup, and all of them are sub 300 guys, except for now Robbie Grossman. So the bottom of that lineup was really projected to be uh, have some trouble getting on base. And Grossman, that's one of the skills. It's one of the things he does well is he's able to get on base. So it gives him a little more depth in the bottom of the lineup. So the top of the lineup, which is where their beef is, uh, isn't always coming up with nobody on base type of factor. Uh, you know, with Grossman, though, he certainly does have his flaws, even with the 2020 season he's had. I was looking at some of his numbers this morning. You realize he only once he's had a barrel rate above – but I'm sorry, he's never had a barrel percentage above 50%. Not even in the 23 homer, 20 steel base did he do that. And that was all volume. He's never had a hard hit rate above that. Uh, and so there's been there's a lot of blue all over his stat cast profile over the years. The one thing he's done really well is draw those walks. They are red every single year. The lowest percentage he's ever had is 72%. But he's a very disciplined hitter. He's, he's one of the toughest guys in the league to get to expand his strike zone. And so ultimately, that's where I think the value is here. And I, I believe he's going to provide some ancillary value to the top of that lineup because, again, it's going to at least give them a better chance of having guys on base to drive in. So if you're if you're going to have Semyon leading off and you're going to have Seager hitting second as they're currently projected to do, 
then that gives them something. Conversely, if Robbie Grossman does rediscover some of this 2021 magic, perhaps he hits leadoff. And he hits leadoff against certain batting type, and that pushes everybody else down a little bit and puts them in a better position. So I'm more interested in the macro-level impact than I am Robbie Grossman himself here. Uh, but there's an opportunity here for him to do something. I just don't see him jumping into that role like he had in Detroit where he's out there every single day just volumizing. Yeah, I think he is an interesting guy for kind of deeper formats because I do think he's going to play a fair amount. The question is, Texas is not a great place to hit for power necessarily anymore uh, now that they're in the new park. And we don't know, are they going to be as aggressive on the base paths as they have been the best? I mean, my recollection of having Bruce Bochy as a manager in San Francisco was they didn't run a ton. Now, they also didn't have a team that could run a ton. Uh, so it may have just been more of a matter of uh, this was, you know, it was a team built for a little just more, you know, kind of dink and dunk hits and, and, and hitting a little bit for power. So uh, it'll be interesting to see kind of what they do in spring training. Maybe that's a team to closer, more closely watch in terms of their stolen base attempts and how many they're they're how often they're taken off. Uh, but if he is, if they are running like they have in the past, like Robbie Grossman could be a really nice uh, source of cheap speed kind of later, later in a draft, a guy who, uh, might be able to take advantage of those new base, uh, you know, running rules and things like that than uh, other guys. So I will say a couple things. One, uh, you, before we got on air, you and I were talking about like article ideas, uh, mm -hmm. and you just you just kind of hit on one that I had put down in my notepad, listening to the latest podcast, uh, the Rates and Barrels with Al Melchior and you know Saris, while uh, DVR is still on Baby Watch. Uh, you know, best wishes to him and the misses uh, mm -hmm. on that. So, but they mentioned that stolen base rates in the spring tend to be higher than the regular season. Like I wanted to go back and they didn't mention any data, but I want to go back and try to find the data on that and see where that is. So we can say like, Hey, over the last X amount of Springs, this is what the stolen base rate has been. So if we see, let's let pull a random number, let's say 1.5 attempts per game. And this spring, if we see like 2.2, then that's like a, a, Hey, something's, you know, they're, they're at least trying something because we know they're going to use the spring as a laboratory. Uh, anyhow, but you guys know from previous years, I've talked about one of the things I always watch the first two weeks of the season is the, how, where the ball is going, how the home run rates and all that, because it's always been a strong predictor of what's going to happen the rest of the season. We could see, 2018, 2019, 2000, we could see the last few years, we could see what was going to happen. What happened in those first 10 to 14 days pretty much held up. It was a strong indicator of what happened the rest of the season. Then when it, the other thing is while you were talking, I went in and looked at the managerial tendencies page on baseball reference for Bruce Bochy um, early on in his career. And this was probably driven by the talent on the roster, but in his Padres days, they ran a lot. But in his Giants days, they not not once were they a league average running team. And yeah. perhaps some of that early well, you know, he had Barry Bonds the 2007 year, but they did not run much at all in his Giants. I'm looking at rate. Uh, I take that. I'm, I apologize. I was looking at rate plus for third base, but stealing second base about every other year type of thing. As on the whole, in his 13 years in San Francisco, they were 98 on rate plus. So what the hundred being league average and with the Padres, they were one oh one. So I would say on the whole, he's very average, but there were some seasons like in 2008 with the giants, they were 135 stealing, stealing second. So at one point they like to run, you go back and look at that 2018 and see who was stealing the bases. Uh, Randy Wynn and mm -hmm. Fred Lewis, Eugenio <laughs> Velez and Emmanuel Burris. Those were your, those were your burners of the 2008 mm -hmm. Giants. Yeah, that, that that was a fun team. Because, uh, <laughs> yeah, I do wonder if it was more a matter of the construction of the team and also maybe the front office. I know Bochy took a lot of his cues from the front office in terms of strategy. So uh, we'll just, just kind of wait and see. Let's move on to the next news item and last news item for the day. That's Edwin uh, Rio signing a deal to play for the Chicago Cubs. Jason, why do they hate Matt Mervis? Why do they have this? They have a type. They certainly do have a type. They do hate Matt Mervis. Uh, and but they have a type. Like when I look at this profile, the age, the minor league numbers, the strikeout, it's like this screams like, can we hit another Patrick Wisdom, Frank Schwindel lightning in a bottle moment? 
because this is a similar profile. Big numbers in the minors, lots of strikeouts, older player. Let's give him a chance. I don't, you know, a couple of years ago when they when they grabbed Swindell uh, and they grabbed Wisdom and and see it, it it worked for a bit, but it wasn't sustainable. We all saw that. We all saw that coming. So it's like they're doing it again. Uh, and perhaps this is because he can play both sides of the diamond uh, type of situation. But they certainly have a type. Uh, that type apparently is now a 23-year-old with a lot of upside. Uh, it is a near 30-year-old, in this case, almost 29-year-old uh, player because he turns 29 about two weeks into the season. So it's a late 20s guy uh, who probably doesn't have any upside and they're just hoping to catch lightning in a bottle. I frankly don't get this one. But uh, Iowa fans, uh, Matt Mervis should be there for a bit. Yeah, I don't really get this one either, um, unless there's a move coming that I'm not seeing, uh, because I don't understand when you've got Patrick Wisdom already on the roster, you've you've loaded up with Mancini uh, and Eric Hosmer to kind of play first in DH, uh, and you have Matt Mervis waiting in the wings, like where Edwin Rios really fits in on this team, unless uh, Christopher Morrell is in some real trouble in terms of making the opening day roster. Um, and I I don't understand why they wouldn't at least get... I don't like Morrell. I don't think, you know, I, I don't like his swing and miss. Uh, I don't like his inability to make contact. But he's also a super young player that has power and speed uh, and has shown flashes of potentially being a really, really good player. I don't know why they would, you know, potentially block him off because it's... Um, or maybe Morel turns into a super utility. I really don't understand this move from the Cubs perspective. From a fantasy perspective, um, I think Rios is just like a super late draft and hold type guy uh, uh, that you know maybe could, like you said, catch light in the bottle. But uh, ultimately, this is just concerning. I wonder if there's an injury or something that we don't know about that is making some, or maybe Patrick wisdom's done for them. Maybe they are going to like DFA Patrick wisdom here uh, in the near future. Uh, and then oh, I mean, this was a major league contract too. Yeah. So it wasn't like, so some of these signings you've seen, honestly, I think it's part of the WBC is like guys are leaving. They need warm bodies in camp. Let's try something out. Let's give somebody a chance uh, type of thing. But this was a major league deal. So he yeah. is, you know, they're bringing them on the roster. So somebody, I didn't. I don't think. And, and they moved. They made a corresponding move as they moved Ethan Roberts. And this is one of the things we talked about last week. Teams can now move guys to the sixty-day IL. Um, and Ethan Roberts is somebody recovering from Tommy John. So that was their score. Their corresponding move to get Rios on the forty was to move that guy to the sixty. Uh, so that's where this sits. So coming into camp now, Rios it, he could go to the minors. He does have an option left according to roster resource. So okay. if he has a bad camp, they can send him down. So he's not a lock to make the major league roster, but they did sign him to a major league deal. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a bit surprising. I mean, I I've liked Edwin Rios as a potential sleeper in the past. So, I mean, I guess it's a guy you just kind of keep an eye on. He has a big camp. Maybe he makes his team. Uh, but uh, right now, I think outside of draft and holds or maybe NL only doesn't really have any value that we're super concerned with. Let's uh, let's move into our main topic and talk about how we approach talent for bad teams. Uh, I want to start with uh, why don't we start with starters, right? Uh, this is something I tend to avoid uh, just because bad teams don't win games, which means bad teams on or bad or pitchers starting pitchers on bad teams don't win a ton of games. How do you approach kind of drafting a starting pitcher on bad teams? Yeah, uh, I'm very much with you. That's, you know, it won't, there's, there's that same thought that you just said. It's like, I I love Hunter Green and Nick Lodolo. We'll get to them with the Reds. Mm -hmm. I love them as pitchers. I don't love them as pitchers on the Reds. Uh, and so when I look at this type of thing, there are certain times where I like, I love the pitcher. I just hate where the pitcher's at. And like, and we'll get into this in a little bit with saves too, because with saves, Saves have to happen. Wins can happen anywhere, uh, but it's really tough for a pitcher on a bad team to go out and put a double-digit win. It's like when I'm when I'm looking at projections for like most of these guys, if not all these guys, to me it's like nine. That's what I'm looking at for these guys. I, I, I have a tough time projecting double-digit wins uh, for somebody, especially because a lot of these guys are young. But I would say I would say nine, and I don't I don't want to get greedy. I don't want to say oh this guy could be an 11, a 12, nine. Uh, it's a single-digit when I'm trying to look at something. And this is always one of these tiebreakers for me. Can I get a a guy that I look at as a uh, a lower quality pitcher, but can get me wins? 
Uh, I know it's tough to try to chase wins in that capacity, but if I can get a back-end starter on a good team versus a middle starter on a bad team, it depends on where I need it, what, what my needs are at the time. And again, we're mostly talking about pitchers at the back end of the draft here. We're not, there's very few guys that we're going to discuss today that are front end guys. Mm -hmm. um, there's a handful of them, but none of them are on the Pittsburgh team by ADP because we're starting with Pittsburgh here by ADP. Rosie Contreras is the only guy being drafted in a 12 team mixed league in the regular phase. 23 times 12 is 360. He is the only guy inside the top 360 uh, that's being drafted now. And there's only, and if you add reserves, Mitch Keller, definitely a reserve and Luis Ortiz kind of sneaks in there. That's it. Three pitchers from an entire team are draftable in a 12 team mixed league with reserves. So on this Pittsburgh pirates team, like, are you targeting any of these guys? Cause I mean, for me, I had some real interest in Luis Ortiz in like a draft and hold situation yeah. or maybe as a last starter in a 15-team mixed league. But I'm super worried that the Pirates the Pirates showed their hand with their young starters last year with Ronzi Contreras doing this kind of up and down thing, trying to save innings, but also trying to save service time. I don't see why that would be any difference for a guy like, a guy like Oviedo or a guy like Luis Ortiz. Uh, and the rest of the rotation for me is kind of meh. I don't really care outside of depth in a draft and hold. Yeah, uh, I have Mitch Keller on two teams I, because I'm a sucker. Uh, I've drafted two draft champions teams. I have Mitch Keller in both in both leagues. Uh, I will tell you, I I can't even tell. I know I took him late, uh, but I have, and he was definitely post round 25. Uh, but I have him in both draft champions leagues that I've done so far. But he is the only Pittsburgh pitcher that I have on either one of my drafted teams to date. Yeah, I mean, I I feel like uh, I'm finally the Charlie Brown that isn't going to kick the football on Mitch Keller. Like I've <laughs> like I've I've fallen on my ass so many times on Mitch uh, Keller, which means this will be the year that he breaks out, right? Like this will be finally the year he puts it all together and figures it out. But I just. To me, I just can't. I can't buy in on it anymore. He just—he's so hittable. Um, and while like we every, I think feel like every spring we see him like dialing it up to like ninety nine, uh, you know, in in bullpens or whatever. And then by the time we actually get to the season, he's just the same old Mitch Keller that he always has been. Um, you know, like I said, Ronzi, I think is an interesting guy because I think they'll actually let the reins off of him this year. But man, he's a whip killer. Uh, and until he kind of yes. figures that out and, you know, something we're going to talk about here in a second with Hunter Green and Nicodolo is, you know, when you're drafting a pitcher on a bad team, you're already sacrificing one of the four categories and wins. I don't want to sacrifice another one. Um, now, I think a guy like Ronzi going just inside the top 300, you know, is a lot more palatable than other guys going inside the top 200. But still, I, I tend to stay away from these guys that at best are likely going to deliver me two categories. Yeah, uh, and and that's a majority of what we're talking about here. A lot of it, you know, sometimes you got to hope you got to hope for the volume. But a majority of guys that we're talking about on this list, you know, I we put all the starters, and I don't know if you're going to put it in the in the show notes tab. But like if I if I sort by ADP on all the teams that we're about to discuss. By just by ADP, we're talking draftable in the in the active phase of a 12-team mixed league. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine pitchers have an ADP below 360 mm -hmm. of on, on all the rosters. And, and we don't even talk about Colorado because let's be real. None of us yeah. are drafting Colorado pitchers. We're just not. So we don't even talk about that team. So take those five starters just off the table. Uh because it's you know you're you're looking at reserve picks and, and trying to find the right moment to uh, to pitch in, but we're talking about nine pitcher what did I say eight pitchers that have an ADP that qualifies for the active phase of a twelve team mixed league, and, and this is out of Miami, Cincinnati, the Royals, Pittsburgh, Detroit, and Oakland. So that's six six teams minus the Rockies. So seven. I'm trying to do the math. Seven of thirty teams. Uh, that you got to look at this. Uh, there are guys that you're going to have to draft. And I know some of you single league formats are like, I'm going to have to draft a lot more than seven. Yeah, I'm right there with you. As somebody mm -hmm. who's got to do two AL leagues this year, I'm looking at some of these names going, man, that's a steal at 456. Uh, <laughs> it's it's going to happen. <laughs> well, let's move over to the Reds and talk about them because they have those two young starters in Nick Lodolo and Hunter Green, which people are getting really, really excited for. Paul and I talked about them, I think, on Friday's episode as going through the kind of starting pitching preview uh, section. And I 
kind of said, I, I'm not going to be able to get them in a lot of drafts this year just because I'm afraid of them having bad whips, them having home run issues in their home park because Cincinnati is such a great uh, place to hit. And then I'm also worried that the Reds just won't be good and they won't win games. Are you drafting these two guys at cost? So I took Hunter Green. I, t- I did take Hunter Green in one league uh, with that. And I wanted to look to see uh, – where I ended up taking him uh, with that. But you know, when I was just looking at the draft board, uh, uh, the aggregate draft projections, and this is where I was talking, this isn't too greedy, but uh, ATC are the only projections right now projecting a single-digit win total for Hunter Green uh, with that. So that's where – but everybody else is 10. So it's not that's not terribly greedy. Uh, I would say Hunter Green – now Hunter Green in the Arizona – the Arizona first-pitch Arizona draft league, Hunter Green went towards the back of the eighth round. Um, and I had taken two starters and a closer before then and passed on him. So that's where Hunter Green went in that particular one uh, with that. And I was, I, you know, I let him pass for me. I didn't want to take him there. Uh, I was out, didn't want him. Uh, and then in the other one where I did get him, this is the one I ended up taking Hunter Green in the eighth round. Uh, so that's where I did take him. But in that case, uh, I, yeah, the, the draft zagged a little different in this one, but I ended up taking him as my third starter behind Joe Musgrove and Blake Snell. I took Hunter Green again, knowing that I was going to go on a bit of an offensive run, which I did. And my next starting pitcher wasn't until Drew Rasmussen in the 13th round. So in one draft, I passed on Hunter Green at that point. The second one, I ended up taking him. Uh, and so in both cases, he's been an eighth round pitching talent uh, for that case. And so I say I went both directions on it, but it comes down to league context. Uh, as I always try to say, I'm never out on anybody. Uh, it all depends on context. Uh, like I said, in one in the other league there, the Arizona, first pitch Arizona league, I'm not a fan of Carlos Rodon this year. Uh, I know that you, you and Paul discussed him a little bit uh, on one of the recent episodes, but I ended up taking him in the fourth round only because when I looked at see where pitching was going, I was like, he was the best. He was the best pitcher that I liked on the board at the time. I had debated between taking Carlos Rodon and Luis Castillo at that moment, and I ended up leaning Rodon uh, to that point. And that was, but again, there was. I think that at that point, he uh, Alcantara, Cole Strider, Nola, Woodruff, Scherzer, McClanahan, Verlander, Wheeler, Bieber had all gone. They, those guys were all off the table already, and I was picking in the middle in that eighth spot again, coming back, knowing what was going to come back. Uh, I decided I wanted to go with what I hope to be volume and strikeouts. Hopefully. Yeah, I I mean, I think especially as we start to see starting pitching prices uh, bump up here in March as, uh, you know, they always do because yeah. of injuries, because of people just wanting to prioritize, you know, the better starting pitchers. I just worry you're going to start seeing him inside the top 80 picks. And like to me, like I just I can't take a guy who's potentially a two category starting pitcher as like my SP two or even SP three. And so for me, I, I'm out on probably uh, both Lodolo and Hunter green, anybody else in the reds you care about from a starting pitching perspective. Not in a, not in a mixed league. Uh, if I'm looking at, if I'm looking at an NL only format, Graham Ashcraft, uh, I, I'm intrigued with him very, very late uh, in a reserve. I know he's working on his repertoire, uh, I will tell you this in an 18 team, 18 team mixed league, 40 man roster league. I have Brandon Williamson uh, mm-hmm. as my only minor league pitcher, because I remember reading a scouting report last year about him that comped him to a young Blake Snell. And I was like, Ooh, boy. Uh, so it's like in an 18 team, there's always so many guys I'm going to, he's the only pitcher I have uh, on my minor league and I'm keeping him. We actually start our minor league draft tomorrow in that one. And I'm keeping Williamson in there just because uh, I want to give him one more chance uh, with that, but that's it. I, there's, and he's seven forty four. like, so in a late, late draft champions, but there's, he's going late because he's got a lot of flaws. He walks about 7.4 per nine innings right now. Um, but that's the only other guy I'm interested in. Louis Sessa is going late and Luke Weaver's still there, but there's a reason why both those guys are going late and uh, I'm out on the, but Graham, Gra- Graham Ashcraft uh, probably wears an ascot when he went off the field. I, I think I've made that joke before uh, with him, but he's the only other guy that interests me in the NL only format. 
What about the Oakland A's? Because I don't know if there's anybody that interests me in this rotation. Holy cow, that's so bad. And that was like that was one of the things that got my attention. Their highest ranked pitcher by ADP is Ken Waldachuk at 370. So it was like yeah. you're not drafting uh, in a 12 team mixed league if you end up with an A's starting pitcher on your roster. Something's gone wrong. Uh, you know, and the rest of I mean James Caprellian, a guy a lot of people liked last year, ADP 600. Uh, Shintaro Fujinami, a guy that walks everybody, 551. It's like, I don't want anybody on this Oakland roster, not anybody, unless this is something that, like, I'll have to come here and pick up somebody if I have multiple injuries. But there's not even a guy, because I've seen all these guys pitch. It's like, I don't want, like, maybe Kyle Muller, maybe, 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 maybe in an AL. Like, I'll, I'll put him on my reserve roster and see what the matchup is. But, man, if I end up with an Oakland guy on my roster, it, my draft didn't go the way I wanted it to go. Yeah, I think the only place you're really looking at these guys is in a drafted hole. And, I mean, they have some interesting guys. Waldachuk has is a little bit interesting. But the two guys that I would probably be most likely to draft, um, you know, on, like, a draft champions or an AL only, are the two guys most likely not to make this opening rotation. And that's Kyle Muller, who they traded for uh, in the offseason. And J.P. Sears, who I think both are likely heading down to AAA to start the season. Uh, and so for those reasons, like, I probably won't be drafting anything. Well, and let's be – I mean, this is this is the team that everybody's looking at that, that's going to be like a 110-loss team. That's what the yeah. – a lot of the talk – so, like, if they're 52 and 110, you know, like, we can't even put nine wins down for any of these guys. Like, think more like seven. Uh, and then who's going to – which one of these guys – like Paul Blackburn kind of had a, a, a run there for a little bit last year and was able to help you out in some areas out of nowhere uh, type of thing. But who's going to really be able to provide any ratio of help? Who's really going to be able to provide strikeouts? And that's why, you know, that's why they have the ADPs that they do because it, there's, so, there's so little upside um, on this roster right now. So yeah. In the starting rotation. It's just they're limited by the surrounding cast. And it's not good. <laughs> <laughs> this this may be one of the worst teams in MLB history. Um, like you really, I mean, we'll talk about a couple other offensive guys that uh, are somewhat interesting. Yes, uh, but like really, you if you leave a draft with more than one Oakland A, you've done something wrong. Um, <laughs> so, uh, what about the Nationals? They've got a a really interesting rotation um, of some guys who are you know former top prospects. Uh, and then some older vets who've got injury woes uh, or uh, or just have struggled. Um, are there guys on this team that you're targeting? Because I actually – there are a number of guys I actually really like. See, yeah, because Patrick Corbin's on that roster. Patrick, Patrick Corbin, baby. I know that. No, Josiah Gray is the only pitcher on this roster that I – the only starting pitcher that I would want on my team. Uh, and I'm not going to say it. There's nothing else. I, I can't really look at anybody else and be like, that's the guy I want. I do like Josiah Gray. I know he's had some problems uh, with the home run rate, uh, but I don't. I'm, I do not want to give up on him based off stuff that I've seen, based off stuff that I've heard him like his interviews. Uh, I love. I love what he could become. Uh, I just hate where he is. I, I really. Yeah. I wish he was. So, I wish he was somewhere else, working worth working with a team that could make the most of his abilities. Uh, it just this is a really tough situation for a young pitcher to be in right now. Uh, so, but I want. I still want him, uh, especially in a keeper league format. In the year to year, not so much, but in a keeper league format where he could potentially be relocated in the near future, he's somebody that I'm interested in. Yeah, I mean, I, I like Gray for what he is. He's a guy who can get you strikeouts. And if he were to figure something out um, in terms of, you know, kind of uh, helping his command limit those home runs, even if it's, I mean, like, it's just an, it's an astronomically high home run rate. And, like, even maybe just some positive regression or uh, bringing it down to, like, a normal high home run rate would do wonders for a guy like Josiah Gray. I am very interested in Mackenzie Gore and Cade Cavialli. Only be only because of their prospect pedigree and the flashes what we have seen from them. However, they both have severe injury risk. And so the places where I'm interested in are not the same kind of places that we typically talk about guys like this that we would be interested. Usually we're talking about drafting holes, like super, super deep leagues. Um, you know, uh and it's for me, it's more like, hey, last guy in your fab league. Because I want the ability to drop these guys. Um, yeah. I don't want them soaking up one of my 50-round draft and hold spots. And so if you're in 
a 15 team fab league or even a 12 team fab league i don't mind taking a gamble on one of these guys as one of my last picks just because i think the upside especially on gore could be massive but we just have no idea what the health are going to look like so he's, these are two guys i'm definitely watching in spring uh to see what they're doing I, i'm not touching steven strasberg with a 50 foot pole uh, especially no, that, not, not even long enough, dude. Yeah. He's already seeing doctors. And it's bad. It's, mm-hmm. it's thoracic out. He's recovering from thoracic outlet. Uh, it, there's already reports this week about uh, the nerve recovery is not going well. No, there's go ahead. Somebody, I, I want to say he was drafted in one of my leagues. And I was like, wow, really? Then again, yeah. somebody took Aristides Aquino uh, in, in, a, in a draft champion this month, and he's in Japan. Yeah, he's, he's playing in Japan and he's been drafted. So if you run out of names, Strasburg <laughs> can be drafted then too. But no, yeah, uh, and Patrick Corbin, like you know, he, I still take him late in a, a draft champions just because you need guys who can start, and he's still around super late, and he can um, still get strikeouts. It just yeah. it comes with a severe penalty and risk. But yeah, the way they're paying him, they got to pitch him. Yeah, oh, he's for sure going to be the opening day starter and pitching every fifth day as long as he's healthy. He healthy. could he could go for that Anthony Young loss record. That could that yeah. could be in play this year. Trevor Williams is kind of interesting in a deeper format. Yeah, yeah, a, a swing arm uh, to see what could happen. Uh, yeah, deeper NL only format. But the only guy that I'm like, oh, I don't mind if I walk out of a draft with him before the reserve round would be would be Josiah Gray. I don't dollar end game. I'll take it reserve. I'll take it. Uh, but everybody else I'm passing. Let's talk about the Royals because every time I discuss the Royals on a podcast, they seem to do something to make them less and less enticing. Right. Uh, <laughs> they just bring in an old veteran uh, to soak up innings. Uh, and at this point, like I don't even know what to make of a rotation that is made up of guys like Zach Granke, Jordan Lyles, Ryan Yarborough, Brad Keller, uh, and the one guy I really do like, Brady Singer. Um, where are you out on these Royals? The last guy is the only guy worth talking about. It's yeah. like it's the king in his court. For those of you mm-hmm. old times, remember Eddie Fainer and everybody else in softball? It is the king and the rest of the guys. No, none of them. I, honestly, I would not draft any other Kansas City starting pitcher but Brady Singer, and I love Brady Singer. Uh, and this is a guy who's had a success tumbling the sinker and slider. He doesn't really have a third pitch yet. And part of that I put on the Royals. I mean, Cal Eldred was notoriously terrible pitching coach. Uh, a lot of people, Eno's made a lot of fun of it. Jeff Zimmerman's made a lot of fun of it. He's gone. And they brought in Brian Sweeney, and they have Mac Quattaro and, and Paul Hoover, both former catchers they brought out of the Rays organization staff, brought them over here. So now they've got guys that are used to working with pitchers, and they have a new mind in here. And if I, if, if that trio could sit down with Brady Singer and, and find something, if another third, like, hey, do this, do this. And we've already seen what, what Singer can do with his current limitations, but if he gets another pitch, he could take a nice step forward. And so for me, Singer is the only guy that's even worth talking about. And I've already said how much I do like him this year and how much I enjoyed watching him pitch last year. If you want to go do your homework, go watch the two starts against Tampa Bay and New York right after the All-Star break. Struck out 10 and 12 in those two games. And just stuff zigging and zagging all over the place. It was really fun to watch the pitcher. It wasn't so fun as a Rays fan to watch him shut down the team, but it was fun to watch a guy pitch like that. Uh, and so go back and watch those two games. But none of these other guys, like last year I spent $2 on Zach Greinke and, and AL Tout and, and didn't even make $2. It's like, I don't want to make that mistake. I don't, I'm, I'm glad Ryan Yarbrough is off my favorite team. I don't want to draft Ryan Yarbrough, especially with a team that's probably going to use him as a straight starter and not use him as an opener. So no, I'm out on all of these other guys. Uh, even in AL only format, you know, no, I, you know, Brad Keller's talking about adding a curveball to get some more. Uh, I saw something in, in Jeff's mining the news. Like he's, he's always tried to add something and nothing's really ever stuck. Um, mm-hmm. So no, it's Brady Singer and everybody else is off my draft list. Yeah. And I mean, I love Brady Singer. I'm, I'm higher on him and I've even tamped down my original projection for him a little bit because he was, he was projecting out as almost a top 30 starter. 
uh, for me. You know, I know that he is a two pitch guy, but he's still young enough to continue to develop that third pitch or add a new third pitch. Uh, and I love the park. Um, and uh, I just think he has the ability to take kind of another step forward or at least hold on to the gains that we saw last year with a guy who already has been able to throw 180 innings. Those innings add up. Like if he's if he's going to be close to, you know, 200 innings this year, that's going to mean a lot for a guy like Brady Singer. And there's a great uh, if you uh, if you are if you're already reading the process from Tanner Bell and Jeff Zimmerman <clears throat> or you haven't yet, there's a really good table in there. It talks about year over year workload increase for a guy. So mm-hmm. if they if they've pitched this much, this is how many innings on the aggregate that they've gone up. Uh, so it's not by percentage, but total. And there's a really good table in the first third of that. So if you haven't bought that, and I think the I think the um, ebook version of the book's like 15 bucks, but you should buy it. Uh, I I spent a little bit of time every day reading through it uh, over coffee in the morning uh, with that. But like with Brady Singer in both the drafts, I, I keep mentioning the two uh, draft champions that I've done so far. He has gone on the turn, the last pick of the 12th round, the first pick of the 13th round, and and these were drafts that happened last month. Uh, so if you look at if we look to see where that may have moved up uh, in other drafts, but that's where he's going right now. But again, I'm this is me putting you know some of those off the field factors into play. I, I want to see what a new staff can do with him because from everything that's been reported, the the previous uh, regime in Kansas City did not do a great job. So Singer's success was almost in spite of that, not because of it. Yeah. Um, all right. Yeah. And I agree with you in terms of the other guys. Uh, I was literally just ordering uh, my paperback copy of the process. I kept forgetting to do that. And when you brought it up, I was like, oh, I'm going to do that right now. So I don't forget again. So it'll be here on Tuesday. I read um, I read ebooks. <laughs> so I, I'm, 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 I, I, I'm on my I'm on my phone or my Chromebook, whatever device. I've got it with me. I like the feeling of a book in my hand and, you know, so uh, I, I need that. Plus I like the highlight and stuff. It, I'm, I'm old school in that regards, I guess. Um, yeah. There's nobody else on the team. The one guy that I really uh, had some interest in uh, and, and drafted in a number of early DCs was Daniel Lynch, but he's mm-hmm. now blocked and likely heading down to AAA to start the season. So uh, moving on to the next team, let's talk about the Tigers. This is a team with some really interesting guys and some guys that I've targeted in some drafts, uh, including uh, I want to start with Eduardo Rodriguez. Eduardo Rodriguez had just a disaster of a season last year, right? Signed the big deal, came in, was looking really good until the start pretty much that he got hurt in um, and then uh, and then went on to the uh, IL and then didn't come back for a while because of some sort of off-field issue that he had to step away from baseball, and he just wasn't the same pitcher when he came back. I feel like going a guy going at pick 350 right now in FPC Draft Champions is an absolute steal for a guy that a lot of people were considering a number two or three starter coming into last year. Yeah, he. Uh, I was just looking at the two drafts. He went the 23rd and 26th round. Uh, these are types of players that I particularly enjoy targeting the year after a dumpster fire season, because like you said, people were targeting him as an SP three last year. I know I was there uh, with that. I want to say his ADP last year was uh, in the low one twenty. I want to say one twenty something along that line, mm-hmm. somewhere, somewhere there. But it was solid, and so now he's going in the end game of fifteen team league uh, in the reserves in one of them. So it's like that's a guy. Honestly, I could make a case for all. We have six Detroit pitchers listed here. Rodriguez, Manning, Turnbull, Lorenzen, Boyd, and Scooble. You know, I can make a case for I, – I, I don't want to dismiss any of those guys. Uh, I could make a case depending on league format. Obviously, Rodriguez, to me, is is the is the best target. Uh, I, I've long made a case where I, Michael Lorenzen wants to be a starting pitcher. Michael Lorenzen's body has not allowed him to be that starting pitcher. But Michael Lorenzen has the stuff to be a starting pitcher, too. And this is one of these, okay, now he's in a really good opportunity to do that. He had it with the Angels last year and didn't make the most of it because his body failed him again. Um, Matt Boyd, honestly, Matt Boyd's the one I'm I'm most intrigued in here because the market price is nothing. I mean, at 480 ADP is nothing. I talked about this on uh, the, the PitchCon uh, weekend. I, I talked about, like, Matt Boyd rebounds. Prior to him going down with the, we haven't seen him pitch with a non-bouncy baseball really yet. Remember mm-hmm. he got he had all the home run problems. Um, then he was pitching well in 2020, got hurt, and then came back at the very end. You know, had the Tommy John surgery, came back and and worked well out of relief for Seattle. Uh, but we haven't seen him pitch in a full season with a normal baseball. 
Uh, and now he's going to have that opportunity. So maybe some of that home run stuff could come down because it's not the super bouncy baseball. And yeah, they, they adjusted Comerica Field a little bit. But Matthew Boyd at his current market price, I believe, is the guy to target here. Uh, everybody else, I mean, no, nobody's overly priced, but I believe that Matthew Boyd and Michael Lorenzen are two guys that are being a bit underpriced here. Um, and speak to what we opened with about guys, you know, the the uncertainty creating opportunity. And these are two guys that I believe, uh, you know, we look back at the end of the season and they're going to be profit turners. I'm, I'm actually right there with you on Matt Manning um, or sorry on uh, Matthew Boyd. But I do want to give a shout out to Matt Manning, who was really, really good, especially down the stretch. I know he finished with an injury, uh, but I think that is kind of depressing his price quite a bit. Uh, and he's already throwing bullpens. I uh, got to watch uh, one uh, that he was throwing a little bit earlier today. Looks pretty good. Looks healthy. Um, and considering where he's going, which is right around pick 455, like I'm willing to take a gamble as, as uh, on Matt Manning as one of my last picks in a fab league. Again, I think he's more of a fab league guy than a draft and hold guy only because you can drop him if he gets hurt. Like he's well, not and Turnbull's another interesting guy too. I mean, Turnbull, the, mm -hmm. the news earlier this week is he was hitting 94 out of his bullpen in spring, which is great Here's because he I ended, found. sorry, watch, you know, he ended last season, uh, you know, injured. Uh, but if he's hitting 94 out of the bullpen here before he went down, he looked good. Uh, and somebody you know, generates a lot of ground balls. So like I said, you can make the case for any one of these Detroit guys based on upside and league format. Uh, to me, they're all draftable, even in AL-only format, obviously. But all of these guys, to me, are rosterable. Conversely, like in Kansas City, I only want one guy. There's nobody else. Even in, even in AL uh, tout or AL labor, I'm not looking to anybody on that Kansas City starting staff but one guy. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. Um, all right, let's move on to Miami, which probably has the most loaded of these rotations. Uh, and it's a really, really good rotation with a lot of arms, uh, let's start with Sandy uh, Cantara, uh, who is, you know, a second round pick in a 15 team league right now going as an SP one. Are you drafting Sandy Alcantara this year? Uh, I haven't, I know. Uh, and only because and it's not because of where he pitches. I mean, it's just that I'm, I'm not somebody who invests early starting pitching. I just, I have not been so far, uh, but no, he hasn't been there uh, for me. So even in picking, like I said, picking where I've picked, uh, I've picked eighth in both of these DCs, and I have passed. Uh, I believe I passed on them in both moments uh, with that. But no, it's just I, I don't want to. I did pass on him. I took Goldschmidt and Alcantara with, with the very next pick in one of them. Uh, so he was there in that one, and the other one uh, I took Mike Trout uh, instead of Alcantara uh, with that. So it's like Alcantara has been that second round pick in both formats. He went uh, twenty four and twenty eight. Uh, in the two that I was in, his ADP is 30. And so even back you know, last month, his, he's already jumping in some of that. His value was already high in those particular leagues um, with that. But this isn't somebody I, – I would draft Alcantara if he pitched in anywhere else. Like in Oakland, then I'd be like, eh, no, I'm not going to take him. Uh, but I'm fine with him in Miami. That's not a problem. I would say with just about this entire staff, uh, I'm cool with taking anybody uh, on the staff except the back end. I mean, Johnny Cueto was fun to watch last year, but no, it just it does not miss enough at bats. Uh, and the news that Sixto Sanchez, he's lost 40 pounds. I mean, I didn't even recognize him in the picture from spring, but he's also lost about 10 miles an hour off his fastball because the last workout had him an 88. Like, no thanks. No, no thanks. It was fun when he was hitting 100, but his last workout, he wasn't even hitting 90 yet. So slow your roll on, the, oh, he's in his best shape of his life because this fastball is in no shape. Uh, with that, but everybody else here could make a case for it. You can make a case for Puck's upside. Maybe the Miami could make a you know do with him what they did with Lazardo. They made a nice adjustment to Lazardo, and Lazardo certainly pitched better uh, as a Marlin than he did as an A. Um, and Cabrera has the upside. Rogers, we've seen it before. Uh, he can do it again. But I do love this the the options that we have here in Miami. Uh, you know, yeah, they're a you know they're going to be a 500 club at best. Uh, even if everything breaks right, they're still going to be like a 500 club. But I do love the options here because there there's more upside than downside overall. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. I'm a little I'm starting to get a little concerned, and I may actually lower my projection on Sandy Alcantara um, a bit just because 
I don't know how much I trust that defense behind him with Jazz. Joey Wendell at shortstop is not going to be a good thing. And Jazz moving out to center. Like, I think that infield defense could be potentially pretty bad. And then you add in the shift rules. This could be something that affects him a little bit more. And now you wonder, like, okay, what makes Alcantara so valuable is his ability to volume, which I don't. I you know I don't question which is a rare skill these days. Yeah. <laughs> but it's his ability to volume with such pristine ratios. Yeah. And I worry that he gets unlucky to the point where that is no longer a, a huge benefit in the way it has been the last few years. So I think I may end up having to drop him a little bit uh which uh is a bummer for me uh because I do like taking a guy like him to kind of stabilize my team but uh, I think I'm going to be below ADP at that point. Uh, I really like Trevor Rogers. I really like um, uh, Edward Cabrera. Uh, some interesting gambles, you know, around, I think they're going around pick two something, uh, 220 for Edward Cabrera, 254 for uh, Trevor Rogers. I think they're both really, really uh, nice and just gamble. Rogers, especially if the changeup looks good in spring, I'm going to be all over him. I mean, he was a fifth, sixth round pick last year. You're now getting him extremely late. And Edward Cabrera has shown amazing flashes. Uh, and I feel like the upside is uh, is pretty amazing for a guy going at pick 220. So these are two guys I'm definitely targeting. Puck, I don't know what to do with him. I, I love the talent, but I don't know if he's even going to be a starter now that he's not in Oakland. So, um, And I don't know that he's going to be a closer either. I think he's going to be a multi-inning kind of reliever. And I don't know how much that makes sense on a team that's not going to be necessarily winning a ton of games. So they're not going to yeah. be as bad as these other teams. Yep, yeah, it could go in a number of directions, but that's the thing with Miami. They always seem to have somebody that makes a step up. It's like I know in 2021, you know, Trevor Rogers when he had that. I remember being so angry in uh an NL. I, I think I was I was sub drafting for somebody and I had Trevor Rogers of one dollar at the end of the auction, going once, going twice. Somebody said two, and I didn't that didn't have a two dollar. I was sub drafting for somebody else. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> you got I thought I had him. It's like here he is. And somebody jumped and took him for two bucks, and I couldn't say anything uh with that. And that was tough. But they always seem to they have a better track record. But I made the crack about Joey Wendell as the shortstop. I don't know how that's gonna work out. They may have to go like I don't know why they don't go pay Elvis Andrus. Because at this point, Elvis Andrus probably be like, ooh, contract. Thank you. I take it. Uh, and to give me the money, like kind of like Robbie Grossman did uh, or something. But Joey Wendell is not an everyday shortstop. He, yeah. The age, the arm, the foot, none of that is there. He's best used in versatility, and he is not an everyday shortstop. And that is a legitimate concern you raised. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what we're going to do now is we're going we're gonna to go to closers, and I think then we may actually cut it for the day since we're already almost an hour. Uh, and then maybe we will tackle the hitters another time. Maybe try to talk a lot. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we'll try to sneak in a, an extra recording somewhere. Uh, your general philosophy in terms of drafting closers on bad teams is what? All right. So there's some data points uh, that I'd like to cover. Like one, like the, but this was like a different era. But like the thing that comes to mind is Brian Harvey once saved 47 games for a 62 win Florida Marlin team. But you know, those days are in the past. That said, you know, bad teams tend to give the ball to the same guy forever. It's like I looked, I went back and looked at, I pulled a chart and maybe you, I don't know if it's easy to put in the show notes, but I'm looking at a chart. I pulled a chart that said, give me the, I want to know the team save totals because there's not a way to do this at a stat head. I even asked uh, the head of stat head, is there a way to pull this? You can't, but I wanted like the highest save totals for based on te- based on team winning percentage. There's not a single report, but I said, okay, show me the team save totals by team winning percentage. And the R squared for that was 0.41. So moderate uh, with that. But like the, the record, the record for most saves by a team in a, with a sub 500 winning record is 60. 60 saves for a team with a sub 500 winning record. That said that team was 80 and 82. And that team was the 2015 Tampa Bay Rays, uh, who had Brad Boxberger say 41 games. So it's like these things, so a 40-game season from a sub-500 team, but it took that. But then even then, the 2017 race had 53 saves, and Alex Colomay was 47 of those 53. It's like that's the sweet spot. That's what you want to get into. The other one, you know, the Miami Marlins had 55 saves uh, in 2016 as a 79-win team. So, like, if you want to try to find a volume guy that's going to get you saves – 
it's going to have to be like a near 500 club because the highest save total for somebody nowhere near like the 2002 Pirates had 47 saves and were a 72 and 89 win team. So it's like if you want, if you're trying to find a volume save, you're trying to find that Colme, that Boxberger, that Craig Kimbrell, that one year he had 40 something saves for a bad, uh, a bad Atlanta team, uh, or that year the the um, the Miami team. Let's just talk about AJ Ramos had 40 saves for that club. You want somebody that's near 500 uh, with that. So that was one of the data points I looked at. And then the other data point is relievers with 25 plus saves. And I tweeted this out this morning because it, you know times are changing. You know. Even in 2014, 2015, we had 24 pitchers with at least 25 saves. Last year, we had 11, 11 pitchers with that many saves. And their ADP, uh, when I looked at their ADP and said, okay, show me the ADP of the guys that had 20, 25 plus saves last year. Josh Hader, Liam Hendricks, Emmanuel Classe, Edwin Diaz, Ryan Presley, Kenley Jansen, Jordan Romano were all drafted inside of the top 75, and they all returned that investment. You were drafting saves because everybody else was like pushing guys up, and they returned that investment. Taylor Rogers, Camilo Doval, and Gregory Soto were all drafted between 129 and 159. So that was like Gregory Soto was the guy everybody was trying to avoid, yet he ended up with 25 plus saves, and then was Daniel Bard at 313. So, like, you're trying to find this year's version of Daniel Bard. Well, he is this year's version of Daniel Bard because he's on the Rockies. The Rockies gave him an extension, so Daniel Bard's out there, and he's no longer going at pick 313. So that's the kind of thing you're trying to look for. But if you look at the current ADP of these teams that we're looking for, we take, again, we took Bard off this because Bard's the closer, and there's no doubt about that in, in the Rockies. But you look at the rest of the ADP, and you got David Bednar at 103, Alexis Diaz at 138. Neither of those are bargains. Well, actually, we put uh, put Daniel Bard here at 131. Uh Kyle Finnegan, 228, Scott Barlow, 142, and Alex Lang, 226. And like Alex Lang could be this year's Greg Soto, but somebody else could step up too because Alex Lang mm -hmm. certainly has, you know, he's not without flaws, but none of these guys are. But again, you can get saves on bad teams, but you want, you don't want your guys on really bad teams. That's the thing. So it's like whoever's going to be the closer in Oakland. You know, it could be Danny Jimenez. We didn't even list that because it's going to be messy. Even if Trevor May, if they came out and said, Trevor May is going to be my everyday closer. It's going to be tough for Trevor May to get to 25 mm -hmm. saves this year for a team that we said may win 52. Uh, yeah, and, so, and also you know, may trade a guy like Trevor May mid-season. It was on a one-year deal, right? Yeah. So it's like, yeah, I'm not going to get, I, as an AL only guy, I guess I have to get excited about the closer there at some point because, you know, there's only so many to take. Um, with that, but that's where that's where this gets noisy. When you have eleven, we only have eleven guys getting twenty-five plus saves. Beggars can't be choosers. You got to go out and find your saves somewhere. This is what makes this is why uh, Greg Jewett's closer report so money because like he covers all these dudes, uh, and it, it gives us something to to try to look at. But it's, this is why some teams pay for saves, and you again you can get saves off of bad teams, but. The, the correlation shows you the better the winning percentage, the more likely you get saves, but you can get volume there. So it's like of those guys, though, of Bednar, Diaz, Bard, Finnegan, Barlow, and Lang, Diaz is the one that I would tar target. And he's the one that I've taken in leagues. I took Alexis Diaz in the uh, middle of the 11th round uh, in one of my drafts as my second closer behind Emmanuel Classe because most of the closers had gone by that point. He was still like the, the line of last defense. In fact, Scott Barlow had gone – uh, a few picks before him. And so that the next guy, that's where I went. And right after me, somebody took Clay Holmes. And two picks after that, somebody took Andres Munoz. And three picks after that, somebody took Yolan Duran. Uh, so that's where that kind of uh, splits. But when I look at Diaz, seems to be like the guy that could be the closer who gets almost all the saves on a really bad team. Uh, now, I don't see the Reds being a near 500 team. I see them being down in that 70 to 72 range. And if I mentioned earlier that the highest amount of saves that we've seen from a team with no more than 72 wins is 47, then what are the odds of Diaz hitting that? Slim to none. But if he can get me over the 25% barrier, that means he's in the top third of save totals based off what happened last year. So it's, it, people got to adjust their 40 saves are just so tough to do these days. But even on a bad team, you can still I'm, – I'm looking at you know, one, two, three teams that all had 47 saves with 76 or fewer wins. 
and that was the 2019 Padres, 2002 Pirates, 2004 Reds. So these things can happen. It's just rare. Yeah, I think for me, I really want to make sure if I'm drafting one of these guys that they are the guy, right? Like, I don't want the Oakland situation or the Miami situation yeah. where there might be three or four guys involved or we just have no idea. Even the even in Kansas City with Scott Barlow, you know, them bringing a world as Chapman scares me a little bit. And so I've been kind of pushing him down my board uh, a little bit as well, like, I don't have a problem drafting Bednar. I don't have a problem uh, drafting Alexis Diaz, especially if I'm waiting a little bit more on saves. But you're right; like the 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 ceiling potential on some of these closers is much um, much more capped than on a player on good teams. Uh, Alex Lang's a really interesting guy because he's going fairly late uh, for a guy who potentially could be a closer. But like you said, we don't know for sure that he is the closer or that they're going to go with us that guy. So it makes him much more of like a, a you know closer three uh, if you're drafting him. Oh yeah, much more Soto. I, I thought we would see more of a bump with that when Soto when the Soto mm -hmm. deal went down, but we really haven't seen that much of a bump yet. Uh, but you know they do have multiple options in that particular pen. Uh, we'll see you know we'll see where it ends up, but they do have options uh, in that capacity. You know Jason Foley has certainly pitched well enough to uh, get a shot. Even Will Vest. So they they do have abilities but again Diaz to me is the most attractive bad team closer of this bunch because of you know the strikeouts that he can bring to the table uh and they're you know to me it, it's a, they have the potential if every if the bats play out right to be a better hitting club than the Rockies so it's like yeah Daniel Bard's out there and but I think we've seen the best of Daniel Bard whereas Alexis Diaz we could see another level uh, and the other piece of that like you said you try to avoid guys like a Trevor May who's on a one-year deal. That's the other thing I wanted to bring up is look for guys that are on multi-year deals. Like Diaz is nowhere mm -hmm. close to that. Scott Barlow, Scott Barlow was a free agent after next season. So really like this is the time to trade him. If Kansas City mm -hmm. wants to get value, this is the time to trade him. So you mentioned Aroldis Chapman being a, uh, giving you a little bit of pause with Barlow. I'm more concerned about this is the time to trade Barlow. If you're going to trade the closer, you trade him before his final year. You can get more value with him um, if you if you do that. So and Kansas City's not going anywhere this year. So why wouldn't they try to trade him? So I'm that's where I have my concerns with him and with you know we've talked about Hunter Harvey versus Kyle Finnegan, but Kyle Finnegan's and also I want to say Finnegan's on a similar type of deal. When I looked at uh, Finnegan's situation uh, again, Nationals are going nowhere, uh, and so that's where. Uh, well, he's a free agent, so he's got two and a half years. So mm -hmm. they don't need to, but he's also turning 32 this year. So if they can get any value of him, maybe they do move him uh, and, and go that. And, and he's so, entering uh, arbitration for the first time yeah. next year. So, so uh, plus they added, they also added Alex Colomay, a guy with quote unquote proven closing that experience, uh, which makes things a little bit more complicated there. Though Finnegan looks like he's probably the lead guy, Harvey or. Uh, Alex Colomay could uh, kind of complicate things uh, in the future for him. All right, Jason, uh, that was a fun kind of different uh, topic for today. So uh, you and I will see each other for Potapalooza next week. That will be live or that will be stream live, but also I will put that hour of the podcast on the feed. So that way, if people want to just listen to that via the feed, they can. Uh, what are you working on? Where can people reach you at? So I am finishing the bold prediction series today and tomorrow. So the NL West uh, bold prediction series, uh, and that will wrap me up uh, for the season. I wanted to pull up the – give you all, because I've done this every week, give you guys a, a heads up on who that's going to be. So the 10 names that I have for the NL West, um, hitter and pitcher, Arizona, Jake McCarthy and Scott McGough. Magoo, we talked about oh, last week. Colorado, uh, Nolan Jones, and – I. And honestly, we talked about like how bad it is with the Rockies, right? You can't talk Daniel Barton. So I was like, let me find the best name out there. So Phineas Del Bonto Smith uh, is who I have as the pitcher. Uh, I have Gavin Lux and Gavin Stone because I was just so uncreative. I just went with Gavins uh, for the Dodgers. And then uh, Ha-Sung Kim and Blake Snell for the Padres. And David Villar and Sean Manaya for your San Francisco Giants is who I plan to write up. And that will... Uh, Get my series done so I can then start, um, you know, finalizing what I'm going to do at AL Labor this year, because that's going to. You, know, you mentioned we have Potapalooza next week, but then the following weekend I'm going to be at First Pitch Florida, uh, and so won't be able to record that one. And 
Yeah. So I'll be uh, only doing this podcast once in the next three weeks, but Potapalooza next weekend. Uh, and then I have to take off the weekend to be at labor. Well, maybe we can try to figure out a time during the week where we can do kind of a, a labor wrap-up show for you to kind of to talk about what you did, defend your your good and poor decisions. Uh, and, uh, we'll, we'll try to hook up maybe midweek and uh, do a little recording for that. Yeah, I've got some uh, night flexibility if you do, given the yeah. time zone stuff. I, I am an old I am an old man, and I do go to bed earlier these days. I, I don't keep the midnight oil burning anymore, but uh, I'm sure we can figure flexibility. <laughs> Uh, you can reach me on Twitter at Justin Mason FWFB, uh, writing daily at Fangrass and writing pretty going to be writing really regularly at Fantasy Pros. Uh, and let's see, uh, TGFBI podcast, uh, Potapalooza coming up. Friends of Fantasy Benefits podcast is uh, recording uh, three to four times a week right now. Uh, and if you want to sign up for TGFBI Satellite League, you can still do that at TGFBI.com. But those are going to close fairly quickly. So if you have been thinking about trying to win your way into 2024 TGFBI uh, and want to sign up for a Saturday League, do that quickly because, like I said, those have there are limited spots, and once it's filled, it's filled. And I think it'll probably stop filling sometime in early March. So uh, for Jason and myself, thanks for listening. Have fantastic baseball offseason. Thanks, all. <laughs>